0: This is Matt and this is Tony and this is what did we miss the podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time what's going on
1: uh you know uh I, I have a I have the house to myself right now
0: what what yeah. Where? where is everybody uh
1: Sandra and the boys are at her parents house for lunch
0: nice yeah nice yep. so it's quiet it is it's nice eerily quiet. quiet yeah oh it's it's 2021 new year same yep. old podcasts, new Uses. new Uses. That's true, huh? Not really, no. Well, you know, yeah. I haven't had my hair, I haven't had my hair cut for close to a year now.
1: Yeah, it's really, it's really long. Um, it's really ma-
0: long, probably stupidly so.
1: Mine's all gone. Yeah, it looks good. Thank you. Yeah, I, um, you know, so I, uh, I finally caved to, I finally caved to vanity and, uh, as there were increasingly more photos of me floating around the cloud, once the kids were born, I was like, "Ooh, that's a big empty spot on the <laughs> top there.
0: Let's just let's
1: just get rid of all of it.
0: Is that a, a child stress? Stress from kids?
1: No, just bad genes. <laughs> I think it, it, it had been going that way for a while, and uh, uh, you know, and I was not going to a barber anytime soon, especially after uh, you know he posted some video of a guy who's like i'm not a doctor but i'm an american with common sense and i'm not wearing a mask and i'm like i don't want this person to be holding scissors to my neck ever again
0: (laughs) yeah that's probably a smart decision i'll probably do the same just because like my hair is ridiculously long and just like i'm tired of hair and when it's time to like go back into the real world it's like all right fine buzz it all off or something like that i don't know we'll see Meg makes fun of me and then she's just like, You look like Matt from 2004. Isn't that the Matt she fell in love with? That is the Matt she fell in love with. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think she she acknowledges that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We've been talking a lot about like comfort watches lately. I yeah. think at the end of 2020, we were talking about like, hey, like sometimes it's nice to just kind of settle up to some things that are make you feel good or things that you're familiar with, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, totally. Uh I I I recently watch this movie called um, Indiscreet, which is by Stanley Donnan. He directed um, On the Town and Singing in the Rain. And it stars Cary Grant and Ingrid Berman. And it's really this low-key romance movie where the two of them kind of fall in love. And their uh, courtship is really like the first 50 minutes of the movie. Uh, And then uh, a bit of information comes to light about Cary Grant's character, and it causes a light kerfuffle in the back half and it kind of turns into a bit of a screwball, but it's so light and frothy. But it was, I thought it was so charming and really just like, like we were talking about, like that comfort kind of watch. Yeah. And when I went to log in on Letterboxd, I was reading reviews about it and everyone was just like, hey, this is good and fun and light and frothy and charming. Therefore, it's not that good. And I was really kind of bummed because I was like, why is everyone being dismissive of this? Because it felt purposeful. like, And it's very rare to see something that it's just people being charming, movie stars being glamorous and falling in love with each other and having chemistry and seeing that and being documented well. And it really kind of bummed me out. But it got me to thinking about how sometimes maybe I watch things and undervalue them because it does seem easy or light and frothy.
1: Yeah, no, I, um, I, I would totally agree with that. I think, um, and God, I'm exhausted by making this example, but, um, you know, this current, uh, uh, post Marvel world we live in, I sort of have like a cap and like a threshold. Um, you know, to me, those movies can only ever be so good, even the best of them. And, you know, like sometimes, uh, you know, I might have a different appreciation upon a rewatch, but, you know, uh. For me they will only those are only ever just going to be comic book movies. I don't think anything's going to change my mind. Like you said with this movie that there is clearly that intent there. And I, you know, I think um to be dismissive of that is kind of if it's light and frothy but like it makes you feel good and like that's kind of everybody's uh objective. I don't see how that's a bad thing.
0: There is the flip side to that where maybe sometimes you're in a certain place and you watch something and it is light and frothy and maybe there's nothing there and you kind of overvalue it because it came across at the right. It came, you came upon it at the right time.
1: Oh, sure. Or even, um, you know, I think I've talked about this before, but, uh, there are movies that I know are great and that I have watched and loved, but depending on my temperament in the moment, um, you know, I can find them really difficult to sit through. Um, not even necessarily like difficult, like challenging or or uh, upsetting. Just like kind of a drag. Um, and yeah, it's, it's so it's so subjective.
0: In a way, we're sort of beating around the bush because today we are talking about Schitt's Creek, which is a pretty light and frothy and easy to watch comedy. Yeah, um, it premiered in 2015. It just wrapped up its final season in 2020. Um, and it's grown in popularity quite a bit over the past few years to the point where, um, you know, there are just like a shit ton of memes everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really popular on social media. And for some reason, we never got around to it up until now. Um, so so when did you find out about Schitt's Creek?
1: You know, I think like everybody, probably when it showed up on Netflix, and I think the big immediate draws, and we can talk more about this later, but Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara um, is like, oh, well, of course I want to watch this right away. This was maybe the third or fourth time I've tried to get through this show. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when um, did you when did you try before? Uh, maybe a year or two ago and a few times since then. And um, obviously, because that's how time works um uh <laughs> time is a construct yeah it is It yeah, sometimes
0: it's a flat it's a flat circle mm-hmm. didn't you watch true detective i sure did uh, yeah
1: <laughs> sorry i i too have been just throwing back lone star tall boys all morning so i'm a little loopy um yeah so it's been on my radar for a while and then i think well two parts of this story one like i said i had a hard time getting into it And I think initially it felt very much like a um, a shitty rich people being shitty to people who don't deserve it kind of show. And I think uh, I I couldn't like get on that wavelength. So I never made it more than like halfway through the first season. I, I sort of my knee jerk response was, oh, well, like they're not mean enough to anybody for this to be kind of like fun and i kept thinking like oh well uh, i i feel like arrested development did this better like the the bluths are all miserable even michael is the best of them but he's still an asshole and they're usually shitty to each other so like it felt kind of insulated from like Mm -hmm. normal people
0: yeah or 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 like succession which we also talked about in Mm -hmm. great detail um, just awful people being awful to each other.
1: Yeah. Um, but, and again, we will get into this later, but um, this this show outgrows that premise pretty quickly and becomes something I wasn't expecting. So when I did make it past the first season, um, I was really excited because it, it does um, mature quite nicely. And then, yeah, I think for, for a while, though, it was a lot of seeing those memes and people sharing stuff on social media and being like, uh, there, there's something here that i have to be missing
0: when you've picked it up and finished it this time around did you start at the beginning again or did you pick up where you left off
1: oh yeah every time i've started over again
0: oh okay mm-hmm. so y- you really gave it a fair shot then this time or uh yeah well every time oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah if you're oh, yeah, starting yeah. from the beginning
1: oh i think i think there was that understanding that everyone who had watched it l- adored it so I, I didn't ever want to be like, oh, I know I watched the first eight episodes. I'll just pick up there. It seemed like the kind of thing worth doing from top to bottom. And, and and you know, without uh, giving too much away, my, my initial assessment of the show was pretty off the mark. Uh, I, think, I, I think I don't think I ever made it quite far enough in that first season to like for it to get its hooks into me. Because w- once you do, it, it does it. it it's uh, it really endears itself to you pretty quickly.
0: What about you? I think I heard about it right when it premiered, primarily be just because I you know I I just stupidly stay up to date with a lot of pop culture stuff, and I think the reaction when it premiered uh, on was it on po- the Pop Channel, Pop TV, right? Something, uh, yeah. It didn't go to Netflix till I think the third season. Um, but I remember hearing about it and being like, you know, obviously like you, Eugene Levy and, um, Catherine O'Hara and be like, oh, that's cool. But that title is just awful. It's just really, it's not a good joke. (laughs) Um, and I think the reaction in those first few seasons is like, yeah, this is, you know, based off of our expectations for something with these two actors that have been in all these great movies together. Um, this isn't good enough. Um, so I was like, okay, I don't need to watch this. And then to all of a sudden, like seemingly overnight become this phenomenon. It, it just felt like, oh, well, I guess at some point I'll I'll, I'll have to catch up on this. Um, but we, uh, I think a bunch of people were just telling us, both Meg and I, like, oh, you should watch this. You should watch this. You'll like this. You'll like this. And it felt like, oh, well, we're not doing anything. <laughs> we're not allowed to work. We're stuck at home. I guess now is as good a time as any. Uh, and we started watching it. And I think Meg, clicked with it right away because of the the sibling relationship in it and she felt that there were some similarities between herself and her sister and um David and Alexis. Um so that, that I think that helped us get through the first uh batch of episodes cuz I didn't particularly care for the first even like the first season I wasn't crazy about. I think it was like maybe through the second and maybe the third season where I was like, okay, yeah, this is, which is strange because you're just like, oh, hey, I'm watching all these things that I'm just kind of indifferent about because I didn't actively dislike it. It wasn't like one of those things where was like, oh, this is awful. I I don't agree with people. But, and I, I almost had my guard up at first of kind of, oh, well, this isn't nearly as clever as Best in Show or Mighty Wind or even SCTV stuff. Or even the things that it's pulling from, like Cheers or Parks and Rec or The Office, because um, it's obviously in that same milieu. Uh, so I think I was on the, the the I guess the offense at that point. Uh, but then it, you know, like you said, uh, its charms kind of reveal themselves to you, and and you kind of it is like a warm hug after a while. And it, mm-hmm. it it was a comforting show, especially in a moment when you kind of look for those kind of things. Sure.
1: You know, we've talked about this before, uh, but there there is that sort of, you know, you, I, you're right. I had my guard up as well. And I think when you, I, I think when something materializes and so quickly becomes so popular, and, you know, if you are not on that wavelength or part of that, like, that first wave of of, of fans, like, you know, you do kind of approach it with 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 your defenses up a bit. Like, you know, you, this show has to prove to me why all these people are sharing all these memes about it. Sure, um, yeah, it's just almost like this this idea that like, oh, it can't be that good. You know, it's not uh, not like a, a something like fish or cats where we were in disbelief that those things could be as popular as they. are. Word, just you know fish is more of a niche niche thing but yeah this seemed uh at once very accessible but also like yeah like there are all the inside jokes around it and it did feel a bit at this point like we were we were coming into somebody else's club
0: part of what i enjoyed about it and why it eventually did win me over was 100 percent due to the performances because while The writing does get better. I don't think it's ever as sharp as the things it's emulating or as clever or as satirical as like the best Christopher Guest stuff. But those performances are so lived in and feel so genuine. And there's a real affection for the characters Mm -hmm. um, that eventually you're just kind of rooting for them. There, and and you can see that in their performances as the seasons progress. And I rewatched the pilot this morning, and and Catherine O'Hara, her, you know, she plays Moira, and like a lot of those affectations she picked up weren't there in the pilot, uh, and that kind of slowly builds. And it's not always about what she says; it's how she says things sure. that are funny. Uh
1: I think I think this is when. Her- when when Catherine O'Hara and Eugene Levy were on uh, Conan O'Brien's podcast together, and I think they they talk about this, and I think she even says like, "Oh yeah, the Moira voice was a moving target the entire time. It was always a little different." But to your point about it not being as clever or satirical, I don't know that it was ever trying to be either of those things. I think I think it 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 is it it does become so much about who these characters are and their journeys to become better people. And not even through like intent. It's not like a you know a, a kind of like feel-goody sitcom where you know the pilot is someone's you know something happens to the the hero or heroine and they're like I'm going to make my life better. Like these people have no interest in making their life better, but through the circumstances they have found themselves in they're better their better natures slowly start to reveal themselves.
0: I uh, yeah, I think that's fair. Maybe satire is the wrong thing to to kind of lump this in with. I do think that there's a level of wealthy people having everything taken from them and being thrown into um this other world that they're not familiar with or used to um and and Eugene I mean and Dan Levy um who uh, is Eugene Levy's son and who is the co-creator of the show has said that he was inspired by this because he used to be uh, like a host on an after show on MTV Canada and he would they would do after shows for the hill so it is sort of loosely based off of these things that he saw so he broadly satirical in those lines and that's why I say it's not Maybe that's not fair of me to say that's not as good as the best satires because it's not totally going for that, but that is part of its DNA. Yeah, Uh, and uh, and I also don't.
1: It's maybe not as biting in its satire. Yeah,
0: which is true, and and you know I don't think that's its intention. But he also said that you know why he Dan Levy asked his dad to be a you know co creator and a part of the show from its gestation was because he wanted to pull in some of the DNA from the Christopher Guest movies. He wanted that kind of lived-in quality of these characters where they weren't completely making fun of the characters. There was more of an affection there, which is there, but I still don't think it's nearly as funny as, as those Christopher Guest movies. And maybe that's not fair to just start being like, oh, well, this isn't this, this isn't X, Y, and Z. But they do invite those comparisons themselves when they're talking about the show. Sure.
1: So maybe we should back up a little bit, kind of give some sure. some high-level overview of, of the show, the premise, um, and just a warning if you uh, have not taken the dive into Schitt's Creek yet. We are going to be talking about the entirety of the show, um, speaking of it as a piece. Uh, I think that's probably the best way to talk about it, uh, especially in terms of maybe there it seems like we've, we've really like leaned on some of our initial reservations. Uh, and I, I think, um, we've also suggested that the show alleviated them pretty quickly. So we're going to be talking about the whole thing. We're going to be talking about, uh, spoilers. Um, so this is your sort of final warning at this point. We're just going to, uh, be discussing the show in total. Uh, but the, uh, the show is based around the Rose family. Um, Eugene Levy plays Johnny Rose, the patriarch, who is the uh, he was the c- he's the the founder of a, a chain of video
0: stores. Yeah, similar to like Blockbuster. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Catherine O'Hara plays Moira, who is uh, his wife. Uh, she was the star of a uh, sitcom, sitcom, a soap opera called Sunrise Bay. Uh, and then their two children are Alexis Rose and David Rose, played by Annie Murphy uh, and. Dan Levy, who is the co-creator and Eugene's son in real life. Uh, Alexis is kind of uh, this, you know, um, ditzy, flighty, party girl. Um, uh, David is this uh, just kind of like aloof, um, uh, pretentious, hipster, it's like art gallery guy.
0: Yeah, he he did like sort of run an art gallery before Mm -hmm. uh, they lost all their money. Yeah, and, and and due to their um, the family's business manager kind of stealing all their money and not paying their taxes, they lose all their money. And fortunately for them, the one thing they retain ownership of is the town Schitt's Creek that Johnny Rose bought for his son David as a joke um, yep. back when he was younger. So they retreat to Schitt's Creek, uh, and the mayor, uh, who's played by Chris Elliott. Um, and that character's name is Roland Shit. Yes, it, it is Roland Shit, which, which is not funny to me whatsoever. Just like I told you, I don't think Shit's Creek, the title, is funny. And I think a lot of those kind of earlier gags about the town just did not land for me. Uh, but I love Chris Elliott. Uh, but he puts them up in the, in the local motel uh, and gives them two room and they live in the motel for the entirety of the show.
1: Yeah. They go from this giant opulent mansion, you know, straight out of the gilded age. Um, everything's over the top, um, to this just shitty, uh, decrepit roadside motel. Um, it is worth noting that, um, you know, for a, a family of, of wealthy, uh, socialites, um, They're not awful, you know. It's not like they're, uh, you know, they're not like uh, the family from Succession or the Bluths. They're not, uh, they have not earned their wealth by dubious means. They're not oil magnates. They're not running a uh, incendiary right-wing cable network. Um, (laughs) uh, They are by all counts uh, that unicorn wealthy family. (laughs) <laughs> who uh, are 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 grossly out of touch um, and certainly judgmental, but not uh, you know uh, not inherently terrible to begin with.
0: I, I I will admit too that that was another kind of barrier for entry in those first few seasons. Was kind of like, oh, I kind of need them to be a little more awful because of everything that's going around and the conversation around wealth inequality. Um, not that I need them to be more awful. I don't need them to be mean to people, but I need I don't know, just like you said, it is this sort of magical unicorn of a wealthy family. And obviously, like, they have everything taken away from them. So that's part of that kind of... The part of the premise is saying, like, oh, yeah, well, we're sticking it to them. And they have to go to this shitty town. Um, And obviously, the the point of the show is throughout the course of their time in the town, they come to realize that there's a lot of value in this kind of small town living. um, Because their lives all change.
1: You know, again, without it being um, schmaltzy or or sort of hit over your head, they are afforded this opportunity to to be good people and to sort of to to earn something for themselves, and and those transformations happen gradually, and and not all at the same time. I think, if anything, you know, Johnny is probably the first to make some sort of effort to you know. Just Not just sit there waiting for uh, an opportunity to get out of town, but like, if we're going to be here, let's make the best of it. Uh, Moira probably clings on to that hope of escape the longest. Um, Mm -hmm. But there is this, in the first season, this constant idea that uh, they just need to get out. They need to get out. They need to get back to whatever it was they had. Um, It builds to this moment where they have an opportunity to sell the town at the end of that first season. Uh, and that falls through the The guy they're going to sell it to is this creep. He ends up having a, a, a sudden heart attack and dies. So they're still stuck there. Uh, but going forward, the emphasis becomes less and less on them getting out. And I think, you know, I think that's one of those initial elements of the show that it was that, that they were right to get rid of that when they did. I mean, it's always kind of there but it doesn't manifest itself as this sort of desperation or this, um, you know, as close as they get to being awful is just constantly telling the people who live in this town and are happy there that they just don't want any part of it, which is just like a shitty way
0: to be. But part of, I mean, I think Moira kind of hangs on to that till the, till in fact, that never goes away from Moira. I think I don't, even in the end, I don't know if she changes at all. Um, uh, but we'll get to that as, as we get closer to the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that season one finale, like this guy that they're trying to sell the town to is just awful. And he keeps giving them reasons to not sell it to him of be- because of how terrible he is. Uh, and they won't have it. And they really, the only way out of it is this guy dying. Um, so that is definitely a turning point. And, and I was like, oh, I hope this isn't like, the crux of every season. Oh, we've got a new person to sell this to. And it quickly abandons that. Um, and in season two, uh, D- David needs money. So he goes and he gets a job. Is it the Blousy barn? I believe it's called, right?
1: Just Yeah, the blouse barn.
0: The blouse barn. And he immediately starts um, purchasing things for it, including like these weird Mannequin, statues yeah. and mannequins and, 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 and outfits and clothing and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the reason it's funny that David ends up at a place like the blouse barn is that he and Moira are both, I mean, their wardrobes are wildly eccentric. I mean, especially compared to just the sort of, um, you know, jeans and flannel small town world they've inhabited a lot of, you know, Moira has these, a lot of like, (laughs) she, she has a a legion of wigs all with different names and personalities, (laughs) um, yeah. And temperament Uh mm-hmm. she has a lot of really like shiny uh sort of contemporary art looking uh
0: stuff yeah. that she wears. She kinda looks like um uh, Lydia Dietz from uh uh Yes. Is it Lydia or is yeah. Well she uh, looks Lydia, a lot like uh, is it, No Lydia is Renona Ryan. She
1: does feel a lot like uh, a different version of of that character that she plays in
0: beetlejuice she's not as angry or aggressive
1: no certainly not but um i I thought of that a lot The, the sort of um the pretension the the way she presents herself uh the um the 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 high taste that sort of goes all the way through to the
0: other side and becomes uh tasteless david's wardrobe is inspired by this fashion designer named rick owens um, which I was unfamiliar with, but everything that, you know, Dan Levy has said about him, uh, I, you you can look him up and it essentially <laughs> looks like, you know, his outfits are very similar to David's. They're like, almost like long sweaters, like really yep. long down to like his knees and tight, tight pants. and But lots of kind of like um, eccentricities, kind of like with patterns and designs, and a lot yeah. of black and white, and he, mm-hmm. he almost looks like this really wealthy, arty goth kid. Mm-hmm. Sure,
1: yeah, that tracks.
0: Yeah. Johnny Rose, the uh, Eugene Levy's character, is pretty much just in suits for the for the duration of the whole show. Yeah, and Alexis and pretty... looks like she would belong on, you know, a re- reality TV show. Um, like keeping up with the kardashians or or the hills like i had mentioned before yeah, yeah. something she like that yeah
1: yeah looks like someone who uh was probably uh disappointed with how fire festival ended up turning out you know <laughs> like definitely that yeah. um that sort of jet setting uh instagram influencer personality type eugene levy's Johnny is like a pretty standard and and always entertaining Eugene Levy straight man. He is, uh, always, you know, always buttoned up. He's always the, the one who sort of gets into the most awkward situations, usually with, um, Chris Elliott's Roland, who is the mayor of the town, you know, constantly deferring to politeness and manners and and always maybe, uh, allowing Roland's bullshit to go on a little longer than it needs to, and that sort of class comedy ensues. Um, God damn it, Chris Elliott is, like, uh, just the the best at being the worst. (laughs) He he just so perfectly plays these obnoxious and just relentlessly dumb characters.
0: Not only dumb, but, like, physically revolting in a lot of ways oh yeah he hangs around too long when they don't want him there he in the pilot like he's hanging out in their motel room and he goes and he takes a dump and like there's no social barriers there but he also like the way he eats food like there's like a physicality to his performance that's always just a, a little bit extra over over the top i think they do a good job of Of softening the character over time because in that first episode he's aggressively off-putting in an angry way um which is tough because like you feel bad for him because they just walk into this town and assume that they should be treated like royalty um and they shouldn't and and they treat him like shit from the very beginning uh so when he kind of pushes back you're just like oh i I sympathize with you but like you're gross.
1: <laughs> yeah, it does it the the first season does feel a lot like it's all going to be this tug of war between uh Johnny asserting his privilege and Roland pushing back. And I I agree with you that this they they don't sideline Roland, but they really downplay the mayor thing. And he just becomes like, it's less about, oh, you own the town, but I run the town. And it just, he just becomes, they find a way to fit him into the fabric of the town in a way that's less confrontational. And I think his character and his relationship with Johnny specifically is bettered by that. Because they don't always see eye to eye, but they do, they do become like, a duo, everybody in the show kind of gets partnered up with, or everybody in the family gets partnered up with somebody else. Um, and Johnny and Roland's sort of bit within, uh, the show ends up, uh, a lot more pleasant to watch than it starts. Um, we haven't talked about Stevie who, uh, is the, uh, the woman who works at the desk at the hotel. Um, she ends up being really, uh, uh, David's counterpart throughout the show, uh, and she's really the only one who lives in this community, um, who has any interest in getting out. She's sort of ex- as exhausted by the town as the roses seem to be. So she, so she, she's easy for David to latch onto early on because they, they sort of, uh, they're both rolling their eyes at what they see.
0: I think that's true. But a big part of her character is her apathy and how she probably believes deep down, like, oh, well, like, I may not want to be here and have to deal with this, but I have no other option. Um, and I think that really defines her character. And especially later on, once um, she, t- she takes some chances on things that are outside of her comfort zone, that's a really big part of her blossoming and, mm-hmm. and growing. Yeah. Um, but that is a big reason why she kind of latches onto David early on. Um, and a big surprise in the first season, too, is that a few episodes in, they sleep together. It kind of introduces this idea and this big quote, which is pretty popular um, amongst fans of the show, um, because, you know, it, it seems pretty transparent. And maybe that's partly because going in, you kind of know Dan Levy himself is a gay man in real life. But on the show, when they sleep together, it felt a little surprising Um, And then he tells her that he's pansexual. Um, And the quote um, is what he says in the show is, um, you know, they're kind of hanging out uh, at a wine tasting thing. Uh, And she's like, oh, well, I thought you and she kind of insinuates that he was gay. And he says, well, you know, I I do drink red wine, but I also drink white wine. And I've been known to sample the occasional rosé. And a couple summers back, I tried a Merlot that used to be a Chardonnay. I like the wine and not the label. And that I like the wine and not the label really comes to define the show going forward from that part, that from that point, uh, and became a rallying cry for its fans um, because really what ends up happening is there's a show the show be, is defined by really not giving any teachable moments or making the gay characters as signifiers for something bigger or for something message. They're just allowed to be happy and be themselves, which is something that you don't get see very often, uh, in a lot of modern entertainment.
1: Right. There is no, there's never a very special episode of Shit's Creek. Um, the closest it comes is maybe, uh, uh, about halfway through the show. Uh, David does, um, he takes over the lease of a, a general store that goes out of business, and rebrands it as uh, shit's Apothe- uh I'm sorry, Roses Apothecary. <laughs> um, you know, and it's kind of like this. Uh, you know, kind of like very like trendy, but like locally sourced market. Um, it's clear that he is more interested in the superficial aspect of running a business than the business part of running a business. So he brings on a partner. Um, uh, who uh, who's uh, he brings out a partner named Patrick. Uh, they end up becoming romantically involved. Um, the closest thing the show gets to a special episode is when uh, David throws a surprise party for Patrick and invites his family, and he has not come out yet. Um, and they sort of have a moment where they talk about what that is like. Uh, but, but again, it's not really a big messagey thing. It feels very organic within the show. Um, it almost feels like an act of sub- an act of subversion by not having it be like the big drama. And, and, you know, I think like you were saying that sort of that ability to show uh, gay characters, pansexual characters, just being, and that their life is not defined by the, the the sort of strife that comes with a lot of like coming out stories. Um, that they can just love each other and not have to like you know walk over broken glass barefoot to get there. Uh, it's just um, yeah, it, it's 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 a uh, it is surprisingly bold for something so understated. In
0: an interview, he said that you know summarizing the thinking of TV executives, Dan Levy said. These executives would say, "We'll let every straight character live their lives, but the gay characters are here to teach us a lesson." The characters were being painted with a different brush ultimately, and that to me was really boring. Um so from the beginning, he decided that homophobia would be a non-issue in the universe. Um which at first I was just like, "Oh, you know, when Patrick comes out to his family, I was like, "Oh, of course this is going to resolve naturally." And then I was like, "Well, well, wait a minute." <laughs> that's on me. That's 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 what I'm used to seeing from these things. And maybe that's what makes this show different is the fact that, you know, their obstacles are not defined by their sexuality. And um, that is refreshing, especially once you see the whole show in total where it just feels like this quaint little town and they're all very accepting of each other. Uh, and that's what forces them to kind of reevaluate their own lives.
1: I think by sort of cutting the homophobia out of the narrative entirely says more is I I, in this, in in the, in the case of this show, that feels more triumphant than showing them overcome it in an episode. The idea that like, that hate does not need to be part of this story. Like we have, like, we don't even want to acknowledge you. And like, you I guess someone could argue that that's maybe naive or or putting your head in the sand about it. But I, I, like I said, I think it is it's subversive to the expectations we have about uh, about gay love stories and how we uh, are used to taking them in and seeing them on screen. So
0: it's, it's showing people that are part of the LGBTQ community that they can have normal stories. It doesn't have to be defined by any sort of trials and tribulations or oppression. And so many stories about minorities um, are defined by that sort of tension. And so it's it is it is different to see something like this.
1: Yeah, or or to play it for a comedy. You know, I think um you know, there's a version of the show where you know, David's otherness is played up especially in you know, taking this um sort of uh urbane sophisticated character and putting them into such a small town and on top of that, you know, being pansexual and the way he, you know, dresses and you know, I think a lazier show would have tried to like do a lot of like uh, uh cringe comedy around that. You know, especially with a character like Roland who, uh, you know, I think, or even like if it was a show 10 years ago, I think David's role in this type of environment would have been portrayed differently. Um, and I'm, I, you know, it's nice to move past that.
0: And most of the comedy or any kind of cringe comedy that revolves around sex does, has nothing to do with, sexuality it has to do with you i don't want to hear about my brother having sex i don't want to hear about my parents or my kids having sex it, there's a there's a also a subplot um i think in the second and third season where uh david starts dating this man and then this guy is also happens to be dating stevie <laughs> and then he invites them together to all be part of one relationship and they're kind of like well that's not really what we want out of this relationship um which is, uh, and he's just like this, I can't remember the character's name, but he's just sort of really charming and cavalier and laid back about the whole thing.
1: And he keeps popping up throughout the show. Like later when David and Patrick are together, he, he makes a table. I think Patrick had commissioned a table and he shows up and he doesn't know that David lives there. And he's like, oh, hey, it's you. And just kisses him right on the mouth and like goes back to his business and invites him over for drinks. And And David's like, no, 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 no. Drinks with this guy doesn't mean drinks. And then you know, when they get there, you know, he, they thought it was gonna be the three of them and they kind of psyched each other up for, are we going to do this? Are we going to have this, this three-way? And, and for Patrick, it was, you know, David's like, yeah, you know, let's, let's have some, you know, uh, I don't want you to have questions down the line. So yeah, maybe you should have some other experiences with other men. And they get there and like, an orgy had been planned and they're like, whoa, whoa, that? Nope. It's, it's too much. So yeah, the, it's it, Stevie's,
0: it is, Stevie's there. <laughs> Stevie's there.
1: Of course she is. They, you know, and and uh, going back to the the sort of the uh, the comedy of crossed wires with Stevie and David and uh, this guy whose name we can't remember, it could have again could have easily been this thing where Stevie and David maybe resented each other and held a grudge and like that sort of defined their characters for a duration of the show, and it's sort of uh Again, it seemed like an easy opportunity that another another sitcom may have made and they they didn't go that way. I don't think there are any long-standing grudges. It's it throughout the run of the six seasons it is a very pleasant show. And I think even even when things get heavy, um you know, we haven't talked much about Alexis, but you know, she gets involved in a romantic relationship that really goes in some surprising places. And that's part of her growth. Um, but, you know, I don't, there's no like simmering resentment between any of the characters. There's no, um, again, there's no cheap opportunities taken advantage of for the for the sake of a quick laugh or, or, uh, or unearned stakes.
0: Yeah. Let, let, let's get into Alexis because, um, I, I, you know, I think I'll, I'll say it here, but I think she's probably my favorite character of the whole show. Um, I, I love her performance. Um, and, you know, she quickly kind of establishes these sort of physical affectations right from the get go that she carries through the whole show the way she kind of always is pushing, brushing the hair out of her face or the way she kind of purses her lips or puts her hands together or has these, Weird T-Rex arms all the time. Uh it's such a physical, almost big performance, but feels so specific yeah. and genuine.
1: Yeah, her 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 like tight eyes and like phony smile that she like really like juts out when she's really like not happy with somebody.
0: And 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 that phrase that she uses consistently throughout the series, which is um, I love that for you. Mm-hmm. Which is so passive aggressive and shitty, and and um, I so I have a friend, um, a photographer friend that had, before I had watched the show had actually used that that term <laughs> with me, and um, she she'd, she said it a few times, and I think she didn't mean it in a, in a the way Alexis uses it, because it's always just like oh I. I've been shooting more film. I bought this new camera. I'm oh, I love that for you. And I always like that's really weird.
1: Yeah, it's almost like her. uh, Like bless your heart is a a southern thing when
0: when I learned the context and how negative the context was, I was just like, oh, wait a wait a minute, that's not cool. Um, But I mean, my friend, I'm sure is you know is is genuine. Um, But let's talk about this kind of relationship with Alexis, because like you said, it, it's pretty surprising. And when the show starts off, um, she kind of lusts over uh, Roland and Roland's wife, which we haven't talked about, who's a big part of the show. His name, her name is Jocelyn. Uh, they have a kid together and his name is Mutt. And she kind of lusts after Mutt. And because she can't get Mutt, she ends up kind of dating this guy named Ted, who is the local veterinarian. Ted is, isn't like a bro, but he is kind of like Concerned with personal fitness, he's kind of smart, but he's also dorky. He's really into puns, really bad puns. Um, and like, he's smitten with Alexis at first, and the show plays it as a complete joke. Like, he proposes to her, it's a joke. Um, and she's like, accepts it, but it sort of doesn't accept it. And like, the show, like, the whole thing is just played for laughs. Uh, and then when that doesn't work out, she kind of leaves Ted. She ends up with Mutt for a bit. And clearly, that's not going to work. Mutt is also sort of this, I don't know, like hippy-dippy in a way. You know, also very jacked, very handsome. Um, They end up breaking up, and she goes back to Ted, and they actually build a real relationship. Um, Which is, I thought, an incredibly incredibly difficult thing for them to pull off, because Ted was played played as a complete joke. Like, just... Almost as an afterthought in those first in the first season.
1: Yeah, I I think the reason it works is because they never the show doesn't let Alexis off the hook for being shitty to him. He doesn't carry that resentment, but you know, um, the repercussions were real for him. He you know he had booked a a couple's honeymoon that he went on by himself, and you know, kind of pathetically enjoyed. and then, you know, when he came back to town, that's when he's a little more, he's a little more, uh, in better shape. He's, you know, he'd sort of like, he rides into town on a motorcycle. And I mean, the joke there is it'd be, he kind of shows up looking like this bad boy, but he's still just this dorky, heartbroken guy who, you know, despite what she put him through is willing to give her another chance first, um, as, as a receptionist, despite her having no skills whatsoever uh, <laughs> at the the vet, veterinary clinic. Uh, and then they become romantically involved again. Um, but that takes some time too. He's seeing another woman. She's clearly jealous and like doesn't know how to feel about it. She she kind of realizes slowly like, oh, this is a really good guy. And I fucked up and I, I, I should have taken him seriously when I had the opportunity. And then she gets the chance to try again and, and she doesn't. And she doesn't fuck it up. She, she, this is a, I think of all of them, I think Alexis's, uh, her journey to use one of her own words, uh, (laughs)
0: is,
1: is probably the most rewarding because she really is, she's very vapid and superficial and, and, you know, she's as shitty as they get, I think of the four of them at the beginning. Um, and and then, and then it really like just becomes such a, like. She has no confidence at the beginning. None of them really like have any like real self-respect for themselves. It's all based in the money and the house. I used to have a gallery. I used to jet set with uh Stavos to, you know, the Mediterranean and have all these parties. I used to be a, a, a uh, on TV all the time.
0: Um there's this whole throughout the the course of the series, the Alexis constantly lays th- has these lines that are kind of like creating this m- m- massive backstory for Alexis's character um, and they they're more and more ridiculous and there's this I have this big list of them and I will read I will read some because it's just I, I love it. so this is one of my favorite reoccurring gags. Um, you had mentioned Stavros um, she got a DUI for driving into the Prada store on Rodeo drive while high. In fairness it did look a lot like the entrance to the parking garage. When she was 17, she went to Thailand on Spring Break and escaped from from a Thai drug lord's car trunk by bribing him with sex, co chaired the teenage rosacea ball, dated all three Hansen brothers one summer because she needed backstage passes for the Teen Choice Awards, learned how to play pool pretty quickly when she was in Ugandan diamond smuggler's villa playing for her friend's freedom, (laughs) Kirsten Dunst is jealous of her bangs because she told her so at the Marie Antoinette premiere used to text Zach Efron just a question mark whenever she wanted a booty call, uh, was taken hostage on David Geffen's yacht by Somali pirates for a week. There's a lot of kind of moments where you realize that she's been through, like has a lot of experiences throughout the world in probably bad situations, a lot of mm-hmm. hostage situations, a lot of like third world country stuff. Um, and, and it keeps building and building and building and it gets more and more ridiculous. And it's one of my yeah. favorite aspects of the show.
1: Yeah, it's a nice balancing act between like celebrity name dropping and then like, you know, she could have been the daughter in a Taken movie.
0: Yeah, 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 exactly. So, but eventually, yeah, she goes to work for Ted, and then she realizes that she doesn't have a high school diploma. So she she goes and it's a bit of magic, I guess, in all this plotting. But she gets a high school diploma at the Shits Creek. um School, And then she goes and gets like, I guess, a college degree equivalent pretty quickly and decides to start her own business uh, being like a promoter.
1: Yeah. You know, I think hanging on this idea of like who she was when we meet her and then who she is at the end. Um, I think what's really lovely is that those defining traits are never like scrubbed out. They never become new people. But I think it's that. That missing piece, that confidence, that belief in themselves and in each other—that sort of—they are able to just to maintain those quirks and those eccentricities, and and just uh, ground them into something, you know, more stable, and more solid. Uh, like you know, uh, Johnny's big arc is, you know, as we said, he he sort of was the the CEO of this big successful video store chain. And now he's broken back down to nothing. And starting the second season, that's when he decides like, well, if I'm going to be here, I I should try to like make the best of it. And he's trying to figure out what that next thing is going to be. And ultimately he, uh, when, when Stevie inherits the motel, he goes into business with her and becomes a partner and, and sort of from the ground up creates this, this new opportunity. Uh, Moira also gets a, a second chance at stardom, and it's sort of played as a joke at first when she's uh, brought on to uh, she's 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 brought into the cast of um, like a Z grade horror movie called The Crows Have Eyes Three The Crowening.
0: Um
1: You know, but even then, even like that, which is clearly like this is not a stepping stone to stardom again. This is you know bottom of the barrel like Sci Fi Channel stuff. But even she makes the most of that, and uh, eventually another opportunity presents itself.
0: I, I think that they end up playing the movie. Uh, the reaction to the movie is along the lines of like, Oh, this is so bad. It's good kind of thing. And she's good within that context. So then it starts getting a bit of buzz and picked up by Netflix and whatnot. And, um, and so I, I don't think it's Netflix. I think that they named they it call something it like, else.
1: Like web or, or so, yeah, something along something those like that. lines. Interflix, I think. But, uh, yeah. And then, and then that sort of is enough, uh, accelerant on her career to, um, you know, they're going to reboot the old soap opera she was in. And, and that's an opportunity not for her for like to reclaim her press glory, but she learns that, uh, one of her co-stars had kind of dicked her over in negotiating and got her kicked off the show. And she learns that. And she finds like, Oh no, I have like, you need me for something and I have worth and I'm going to take myself seriously. And she stands up for herself. I think the best magic trick that this show plays is that it doesn't bring these people to a point where oh they've figured their lives out and everything's going to be fine. Like it got them to a point where they have started to figure themselves out, have the confidence in themselves to take some chances and then leaves it up to our imagination to to how it's all going to go. We we don't we don't sir, we don't necessarily see these people ride off into the sunset necessarily they they are we just see them off onto the next chapter of their lives and i think that was really impressive there were no tidy little bows tied to the end of their stories
0: um well let's get into the finale then because that really kind of addresses it in the end um like the final final episode is is david and patrick getting married before we really get into did you like the finale itself did you Yeah, I did. Did it work for you? And the very ending worked for you too?
1: Yeah, I, I was very satisfied by it.
0: I didn't particularly like the finale. Uh really? and I thought a lot of it I'm cool with allowances like breaking character stuff for jokes, especially on a show like this. But the idea that David wouldn't have planned his wedding within an inch of his life and then everything gets thrown out because it was raining out, just really I don't know. It just struck me as like this is gag is better than what this character is in that moment. Um, And we're talking about these characters growing, but every character had made plans to do something else instead of go to his wedding. And I just thought that was also another cheap joke in the final hour. And them leaving in the end, I felt like Moira hadn't changed at all, and she had gotten what she wanted from the beginning. I Johnny had some change, and obviously, you know, the part of the show Johnny gets into the fold with the motel. And then he gets into business with Stevie and they start to expand the hotel. But it almost felt to me like, oh, no, this is kind of back where they started. Um, And then it ends on this joke of, which we hadn't mentioned, which is one of my least favorite episodes of the whole series, is a callback to this gag from the first season where the town sign is like someone in Roland's family. And it's like, they their're siblings, and like one of them is bent over,
1: yeah, the town sign is a man and a woman standing in a river, and like the woman's bending over and her ass is right up on the guy's crotch. and Johnny's too polite to say what it is until he finally blurts out, it looks like you know it it, it looks like it looks like he's 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 fucking her in the ass, Roland. And Roland's like, that's ridiculous. it's her it's his sister. And Roland's solution to fixing the sign is to just add another sign that says, "What does it say? Don't worry, it's his sister." Or just don't worry, it's his sister. sister. Or yeah. it's
0: okay, it's his sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the the finale, like the last moment, is calls back to that scene. Um, I never, I didn't like that joke in the first place. I just, that's a kind of, I don't know. I just, it's not crass in a funny or clever way. It's just kind of stupid and predictable for this type of show. And to call back to that, I just thought. I don't know. It just didn't work for me. And I was just like, Oh, this is, I don't, I, I think I'm not saying they should have stayed in the town necessarily, but it just felt like, Oh, like we've lost something. And it didn't completely work for me. And especially because the season five finale is them putting on this performance of cabaret, um, which we, we both know, uh, pretty well cause we've covered it on the show. Um, and it's so great and joyous and fun and everyone's a part of it. And, and Moira was like co-director for it and, and Stevie takes this big part in it and she shows that she's capable of other things and everyone contributes to this moment. And I thought it was so joyous and beautiful and what I loved about the show and I didn't get that from the finale.
1: Yeah, I mean, I get that. I think, I think for the show to have started with the four of them feeling like, you know, they were drowning together And then to see them all learn that they can swim separately for the most part, I thought was, was really nice. Um, the sort of full context of Alexa's story, Ted gets, uh, you know, his sort of dream job to go on a six month research expedition to the Galapagos. She initially toys with going, of course, everyone watching knows that that's a terrible idea because she thinks it's going to be like a beach vacation and. Like, that's not what (laughs) happens at the Galapagos. She does not go. They try a long-distance relationship that is increasingly more difficult to maintain until he is presented with an opportunity to, like, get a permanent position there. Um, And they both agree that, like, yeah, that's not going to work. And Alexis knows that she can't go with him. He wouldn't have let her come if she tried to. And they're like, you know, we... You know, this is where we part and this is for the best and like we love each other. And, you know, it was a very mature way for her to re- sort of respond to the situation. Um, and then she goes off to New York by herself. The initial idea is that the whole family is going to go to New York um, once the this whole uh, motel chain business proposition gets some momentum. Um, of course, David has not talked to Patrick about that. And Patrick thinks they're going to stay. Moira gets the acting opportunity to go to Los Angeles. So they end up becoming fractured. Moira and Johnny go to LA. Alexis goes to New York on her own because she wants to like, she needs to know that if she's going to do something on her own, it's going to be without that safety net. And David stays behind. And I, I I don't know, for me, it worked. I understand what you're saying about, you know, sort of sacrificing characters for gags and how, especially in the finale, that it can be a sticking point. Um, but I think despite all the reservations I talked about earlier in this show about how I felt about the characters in that first season, I was just very, I was relieved to see them not just be happy to, but to sort of get the, the, the new beginnings that I felt like they had earned. And maybe, you know, maybe it's me not putting a lot of, uh, expectations on it and just like wanting it to be like that frothy feel goody kind of thing
0: sure i mean i I got what i wanted from alexis and i thought her final moment with ted i was like oh this is really lovely and i didn't expect the show to do this because the show rarely does that uh it always kind of gives you what you want uh Mm -hmm. and i don't and i'm not saying that in a bad way i don't i don't think that's like that's not something i dislike about the show but i didn't expect it to have that kind of nuance ending where she does have this emotional growth where she's accepting like, this was a beautiful relationship in my life and it's not completely going to work because of the circumstances, but we love each other enough to let each other go was something way more complex than I think any of the other characters kind of got. Granted, David ends up with Patrick and I think they just wanted that happy ending for them and I thought that was lovely and, and, and earned. Even though throughout the series, David's pretty awful to Patrick. (laughs) Um, Mostly just because, again, that's just who these characters are. And like, sometimes the gag is always there, uh, uh, takes precedent over other things. Um, But yeah, that final episode, I just was like, oh, like, we've just known so much throughout this whole thing, how particular David is about everything. And to just be like, oh, well, because of rain, I didn't think of that. I was just like, oh, I I don't know. It just wasn't satisfying at all to me. And it it was frustrating. But I will say that we mentioned at the top that we were going to spoil things. And I don't think this is a show that, like, I think if you knew everything about it going in and some things were spoiled for me, I don't think that changes the, the show. I think it works even knowing all the pieces of everything because it really is about these characters, these actors hanging out together. And I think the best moments are when they're just kind of spitballing and going back and forth, reacting to each other, Johnny being kind of incredulous at what's happening and Moira being ridiculous, Alexis being pouty, David being kind of put off by, um, not having the control he wants, Mm -hmm. you know, all those things are all those little details are what make the show work for me. Um, and I don't think the plotting wise, like again, it's not bad, but I don't think that's the joy of the show. Besides
1: a lot of the broad character arcs that we've been talking about, it's it's pretty episodic. It, it's you really just need to know the premise. This is a rich family that lost all their money and now they're stuck in this small town. You can kind of drop in and out. Um, I mean, to your point, for the longest time, the the like the still on Netflix was was David and Patrick holding hands at the altar. So like, you know, there were moments where we're watching and like, maybe things would get a little tense. Um, And Sandra's like, I swear to God, if these two break up and don't get like, they like, she she was just so committed to them making it. And she's like, don't you dare take this relationship away from me. And, and I was like, yeah, I know it's going to be fine. I didn't know the last episode was the wedding. So that was, I mean, there you go. I mean, Netflix does kind of like, uh, one of the, the fatal flaws of Netflix is their seemingly arbitrary thumbnail um, protocols. Because yeah, I mean that's that's the last episode. Why would you do that? But again, it doesn't totally matter.
0: No, I I mean again, like uh, 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 we haven't talked about some of the side characters, but you know, Bob uh, owns his own garage and he's just always a great presence when you see him. He used to be a writer for SCTV. He's just kind of guileless and, <laughs> and 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 probably misreads situations. But like one of my favorite moments is when like offhandedly Johnny just goes, "Oh well, you know, maybe we could, you know, start a bagel business or something." And he and Bob just kind of runs with. Him. He's like, "Yeah, we're starting a base, bagel business," and he finds a guy to bake the bagels and all that stuff. And
1: well, that's that's a great Bob moment too, where he like constantly doesn't like know how to like be in his own body or what to say. And he said, like, when Johnny's like, oh, we open a bagel store. And he's like, "New people know all about bagels. And Johnny's like, because I'm Jewish. And, and Bob's like, oh, it feels like I swear when I say it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, and we haven't even mentioned um, Eugene Levy and Dan Levy's, well, Eugene Levy's daughter, um, and it was sister to Dan and that's uh, Sarah Levy and she plays Twyla who runs the local cafe mm-hmm. and she's also just really good natured probably to a fault where she's willing to accept a lot of bullshit that's kind of thrown her away from the family and, and people in the town
1: sure but she's a nice counterpart to Alexis they she become is. they confide in one another and she sort of has that same recurring gag that Alexis does but like on the flip side where like she'll make these allusions to often um like pyramid schemes and cults that her family may or may not have tried to drag her into Uh, in the same way that Alexis will drop those, um, you know, celebrity names and uh, life threatening situations.
0: That's another thing that didn't work for me towards the end is they have like this kind of heart to heart moment where I don't remember the particulars of it, but basically kind of Alexis is just like, Hey, you've done so much for me. And I was like, no, no, None of these things are true. I haven't seen this. We've only seen Alexis kind of be mean to Twyla throughout the whole series. So that final moment between the two of them, I was like, well, maybe if this was someone like Ted, like who we've seen Alexis with a lot, but with Twyla, it was mostly just her coming inventing to her. So I didn't really buy that final moment between the two of them.
1: Well, I don't know. I mean, I think because there is that episode where through happenstance, a couple of Alexis's her friends from her old life happen to be passing through. I think they're ironically staying in the town because they like saw it on a listicle or something. Um, And and it's, it's far enough into the show that she's able to see like, oh, like these people are fucking awful. And this is how I used to be. And I don't want to be that anymore. And I kind of buy that in, you know, maybe without intention or showing it. I think having even an acquaintance like Twyla in her life was enough to sort of show her that friendship doesn't need to be about stabbing the people who aren't in the room in the back and wondering whether or not they're talking about you when you're not around.
0: Sure. And, and they definitely have some moments where, where, um, Alexis kind of helps Twyla out. Um, like with the murder mystery party and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I just didn't feel that their relationship was a central part to the show. You know, I think that was like a, a tiny piece. So when it expected to have this payoff moment in the end, I was just like, oh, well, I don't really buy this. Again, that's not like a detriment to the show necessarily. It's just kind of stuff in the the end that d- didn't necessarily work for me. Um, but maybe like the best of these kind of um, secondary characters is is Ronnie. <laughs> Uh, and that's she's played by Karen Robinson. Uh, and she's just kind of like, you know, you've seen her in all these kind of sitcoms and she's the one that's put off by everybody mostly. And she's mm-hmm. great because in a weird way, she's an audience arrogant because you're just like, all of you people are assholes. Um, right. Uh, she's probably the smartest one of the bunch necessarily and, and tired of putting up with everyone's crap.
1: Yeah, and her, I think her antagonistic relationship with Patrick is is a lot of fun where, cause she's a contractor and, um, you know, they hire her to do a job at the store and it's, it's taking longer. And Patrick thinks he walks in on her, just like having a a regular chit chat lunch with somebody at the cafe and he confronts her on it. And he's, she's like, yeah, I was doing business to try to get the stuff I needed to get that job done. And like, just kind of puts him right in his place. And then the rest of the series, whenever they're kind of together in a scene, it's very like, even if they're not talking, Patrick is very sort of nervous (laughs) that he's going to upset her. And, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: And both Ronnie and, um, Bob and, um, Roland are part of the town council. And, in um, at the end of season two, going into season three, Moira runs for council to give the family more power, I guess, (laughs) in the town. Um, and so she's a part of it and, and she learns quickly how difficult that is to, um, To manage because, you know, there are all these expectations and she thinks she can kind of just say whatever she wants and and get whatever she wants and or say awful things about the town and, 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 and there's a lot of blowback there and she doesn't always understand why. I do think with Mo- Moira in particular, like there's really no change by the end. <laughs> I mean, she maybe realizes her own self-worth, but I still think she's kind of an awful person in the end. She's still kind of mean to everyone <laughs> in the final episode. And like I said, mm-hmm. like the whole family were just like, oh, your wedding is to." They were like, oh, yeah, we're going to fly out on this day. And they're like, that's my wedding. And it's just like, okay, I, I guess they're going for the gag here and all that stuff. And I think at that point I was just like I don't need that right here. I don't need that moment. I just like mm-hmm. you know, especially for a show that's so pleasant to do something that's so shitty and so selfish in like the tenth hour. I was just like, okay.
1: The the roses came into this world as far as we're concerned, being kind of awful to each other. That's also how they went out. <laughs> this is, yeah,
0: I suppose that's fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started off the show, you know, talking about comfort watches and, and maybe. Sometimes we undervalue these things, and maybe sometimes we overvalue these things. Uh, and I feel like I don't have an answer for that in regards to Shit's Creek. I feel like I'm sort of in the middle right now. And maybe if I revisit it at some point, I'll be like, yeah, I want to revisit this, and this is pleasant, and that will put it in the completely pro column. But if over enough time passes, and I'm just kind of like, oh, this is completely disposable, I might go the other way. I'm like, oh, maybe I overrated this because I really needed this in this moment does that mean that it's like, maybe that means it is good because I needed it, you know? Like it was very comforting. We plowed through it. We watched all six seasons. And granted, they're like 22 minutes long uh, and there's 13 episodes a season. So we plowed through it in like three weeks time. We just, you know, because we had nothing to do and we weren't allowed to work and we're stuck at home. and, And I know that, it brought us a lot of joy uh, in that amount of time. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, I, 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 I'm a little on the fence, but like I said, overall, I I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, But like when I think about this type of show, I think there are other shows that are do similar things that I just prefer. Um, Maybe that's not fair to Schitt's Creek. I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, maybe if it had a better name than Schitt's Creek, then, then, then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think, um, well, I don't think I'm going to like dive back in it immediately. I think this is something that Sandra and I really, um, you know, it at the end of a, a very long year, um, took a lot of comfort in. Um, so I see us revisiting this, um, you know, somewhat regularly. I'm, to be honest, I'm surprised she hasn't started it again. Um, <laughs> I definitely think the season four finale, which was a Christmas episode, which was really lovely. Yeah, um, I like that. I one think a lot. we'll be. I think that'll be one that we'll um, we'll throw on uh, around the holidays. Yeah, I um, yeah, this 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 uh this definitely won me over. Um, and I think I've got a lot of fondness for it. So, I I I know what side of the fence I'm on. And uh, actually, I think this this leads me to um, sort of along the lines of how you kicked things off. My recommendation is not much of a deep cut, but it's one that I, um, I consistently underappreciate. Um, but I think a Bob's burgers is consistently just wholesome and fun and charming. And I frequently find myself thinking like, Oh, I don't know. I think I'm, you know, I've got all the Bob's burgers I need. And then we'll just kind of throw it on wherever we left off. And I'm, I'm, Pretty quickly reminded. Oh, this is just a, this is just a lot of fun to sit with for 22 minutes. These characters are all very pleasant, and uh, yeah, it's um, it always surprises me how consistently entertaining it is.
0: It's remarkable how consistent it's stayed over its 11 plus seasons. Now, what are they on the 12th season? I think. Yeah, which is
1: almost unbelievable. I can't believe it's been on for more than a decade.
0: It is definitely a show uh, that's easy to take for granted. Because it has been so consistently great, and you forget about it, and then you put it on, and you're like, This is just so what I need right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Totally. Um, cool. Well, you know, I'm going to recommend this show called Bunheads. Have you heard of this? Uh, yes. This is by uh, Amy Sherman Palladino uh, of uh, Gilmore Girls and uh, Marvelous Ms. Maisel fame. And this is the show she kind of did in between. I think she did something else, which I haven't seen. But uh, I really like the show. There's only one season. Nobody watched it, so it got canceled. But it stars Sutton Foster, who is a uh, Broadway star, um, you know, kind of triple threat kind of thing, acting, dancing, singing. Uh, and she does play this um, dancer in Vegas, um, nothing tawdry. Uh, but you know a lot of feathers and stuff like that but she feels like she's kind of her career is kind of on the fritz because she's auditioning for a lot of big roles and she doesn't really get anything and this guy from this small town keeps coming to visit her in vegas and giving her lots of things and he's just like just marry me um so he sweeps her away to this small town uh they get married uh in vegas overnight and they show up and um his mother, um, which is played by Kelly Bishop, and she was um Emily uh Gilmore in Gilmore Girls. And she has her own dance school. Uh and this guy, uh um, who's actually played by um Alan Ruck. Uh, and this isn't really a spoiler, this happens right in the beginning. Um, he passes away. So Sutton Foster is stuck in this small town, it's a pretty labored setup. <laughs> But once it gets settles in, she's basically teaching at this school while trying to strive for, you know, uh, a bigger career by auditioning uh, and having to deal with um, being a, a a widow right away, but also with her mother-in-law. Uh, and it's really charming. It has that kind of small town life quality uh, or, or look at small town life that Gilmore girls had. And there's a lot of affection for these characters in this world. Um, uh, and 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 it actually has a lot of great filmmaking with uh, some really interesting dance routines that it take up, you know, kind of back halves of episodes. You could tell that they're really into making almost like a mu- turning the show almost into like a musical. Um, it's like the halfway point between Maisel and Gilmore Girls, and not enough people are aware of it. So I think it's really charming, and 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 um, people should check it out.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm really only aware of it because between Sandra's regular, um, cycling through the Gilmore Girls seasons, um, every once in a while she'll, uh, she'll throw bunheads in the middle of her runs. So, um, I've seen bits and pieces and, uh, yeah, I, um, you know, much like Gilmore Girls, I've never sat down with it start to finish, but I've, I've sort of seen enough out of order that I, I feel like I, I get the gist. <laughs>
0: that seemed dismissive. Oh, I, I I didn't mean it like that. I just uh, no. Know, I have know, never
1: I know. I've never like sat down like like I've said. Sandra has rewatched Gilmore Girls numerous times since we've been together, and, um, you know, I've sort of got this like memento version of Gilmore Girls, and uh, I'm I'm okay with that. So I can like <laughs> I, I can drop I mean, in I, and like know where it goes or know how it got there, but. I've um, never watched it top to tail.
0: I, there's a lot of similarities from Gilmore Girls uh, with Gilmore Girls and Schitt's Creek as well. And I, I mean, I love Gilmore Girls. I think it's just so much fun. And um, But uh, surprisingly, a lot of meat on the bones as well. Um, cool. That was fun. Um, yeah. What are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be
1: talking about what a number of outlets called game of the year last year for 2020 we're going to be talking about hades which uh
0: this might be
1: the most current thing we've done
0: yeah this are uh uh i mean schitt's creek just wrapped up and and obviously it did, uh, but succession you know, as well but yeah you're right the most the uh, one I, to I should choose yeah.
1: succession yeah um i i think this has been out in the world well We'll get into it in the show, but it it, it is like hot off the presses. But uh, I think something that jumped out to you is like, oh, everybody's talking about this. You knew that your brother is a big fan. Um, I had really just started playing it, but um, you know, I, I think uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun talk. I think uh, I've been interested in tracking your progression through frustrated texts over the last couple of months. <laughs>
0: I think we've maybe talked more about this one outside of the podcast more than anything else that we've discussed on the show. Um, yeah, uh,
1: but it's never been a very meaty conversation. I've, I've, I've just kind no. of like checked in to get the temperature, and, sure. uh
0: And sometimes yeah. it's on, on my part. It's been pithy and, and uh, 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 a little sardonic. So maybe that's not. Yeah, I know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe that's not applicable to my actual reaction to the game. We don't know. You'll find out next time. That's true. Yes, I I, I do not know how you feel,
1: having uh, recently completed it. So or quote unquote completed it. So, uh, yeah, we'll get into we'll it. find out We'll definitely time. get into it next time.
0: Great, sweet.
1: Look forward to it. Alrighty. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Did We Miss. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at What Did We Miss. And you can send us an email at whatdidwemisspod at gmail.com. And thanks as always to the What Cheer Writers Club in downtown Providence, Rhode Island. You can learn more about them at whatcheerclub.org, and you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at whatcheerclub.